Well, as always, church, it is good to be with you. If you're new or visiting, my name is Tyler David. I'm the downtown AM campus pastor, one of our elders here at the Austin Stone. If you have a Bible, go and open up to Matthew 22. To Matthew 22. We'll be there in just a little bit. But if you're new or visiting, you haven't been in the last couple of weeks, we're actually in the third week of our sermon series entitled The Art of Neighboring. The Art of Neighboring. And so during this series, what we're doing actually is we're joining other churches in this city who share our passion to want to be faithful to the Bible and want to see this city reach with the gospel. So we're joining with all sorts of churches in the city of Austin. So we're excited about that. Over the last two weeks, here's what the sermon series has basically been about if you've been out. The sermon series has basically been this. You cannot separate your love for God and love for people. That's been basically it. You cannot separate your love for God and love for people. Jesus has been teaching us from the scriptures that if you say you love God, that if you're all in on God, then you will necessarily have to love people. He's shown us through his word again and again the last two weeks, showing you and me that so-called love for God does not honor him if it doesn't manifest itself in love for people. That's been the last two weeks. And the the common refrain that I've heard from our church and in in my own heart, the common refrain has been that this series has been so far convicting. That's what I've heard so far. And rightly so, because when the word of God begins to show light on your life and show light on your love for people or probably more accurately your lack of love for people, the response should be conviction. The response should be challenge. Because it's really challenging to consider for us in this room, it's challenging to consider that you can be in sin and be breaking the, greatest com- the second greatest commandment of God by simply being idle, by simply doing nothing. That you can do nothing and be in sin because loving your neighbor requires you to do something. It's challenging to consider because most of the time you and I think of sin primarily as bad behaviors that we take part in. So we think of sin as doing bad things, but we rarely think about that sin is also, and breaking the first and second greatest commands, you can be in sin by simply doing nothing. That it's also sin against God. God is offended. You offend the second greatest commandment by doing nothing. It's challenging to consider that even being idle can put you in sin. It's challenging to consider. C.S. Lewis said it best in Mere Christianity. He said, no man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. No man knows how bad he truly is, how bad she truly is, until you try very hard to be good. And so when you see this second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor, all of a sudden there's this conviction, this challenge, and that's what's been the common refrain for most of us. And some of you, you haven't been challenged. Maybe you've been affirmed. You already love your neighbors. That's great. But I can tell you the response I haven't heard so far. The response I haven't heard from anyone across our campuses, across our church, I haven't heard anyone say, I don't know if I agree with this whole loving your neighbor thing. That would be a weird conversation. You'd probably step back and go, okay, tell me more. Um, Why don't you agree with loving your neighbor? Well, I just don't think we should love other people. I mean, no one has said that. No one has said that. Because it's one of those commands that's crystal clear in the Bible, and we all generally accept it. Our problem isn't doing it. There hasn't been confusion about it. There hasn't been disagreement about it like there can be on so many other topics. Now, with that said, here's where confusion, here's where even disagreement can happen among us. When you actually start to love people. 
When you actually get in the, in the lives of other people, your neighbors who have names and stories, you begin to hear them, and then you begin to ask the question, what does it mean to love this person in particular? Because the Good Samaritan is a teaching for us from God, but then in the Good Samaritan parable, it's pretty obvious how to love that person, right? He's dying on the side of the road. It's pretty obvious. He doesn't need you to sit there and pray for him, hope that somebody takes care of him. He needs you to serve him, right? It's a pretty obvious what love looks like. But in other situations where it's more complicated, maybe, we ask the people, well, what does it look like to love this person in particular? Well, then there's confusion. Then there's even disagreement. You ask different people in our church, and you'll see that we tend to have different definitions of what love means. What does it mean to love this neighbor in particular? There's some of us in this room, when you think of love, you think of it primarily in emotional terms. So you think, okay, to really love my neighbor is to empathize with them, listen to them, relate to them. You view it primarily in emotive terms. Others of us view love primarily in practical terms. So, okay, I'm going to serve tangible needs that they have, felt needs that they have. Others of us view it in kind of justice-oriented terms where it's, okay, I need to do the right thing no matter what. So on and on you can go, you see that when you get to real people with real stories, real names, real places, and you start to see the complicated nature of it, we disagree. What does it actually mean to love this person? There's can even be confusion of if I do this, if I'm listening to them talk about their sin, is that love to them? If I, if I let them think that this thing's okay, am, am I loving them? Should I call them out? Should I not call them out? Should I serve them? Should I not? You start asking those questions. Well, fortunately for us, Jesus did not just say, love your neighbor. Fortunately for you, fortunately for me, Jesus did not just simply say, love your neighbor. He actually qualified the type of love that he wants. Look at Matthew 22. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. We're going to see the love that honors God. So the, he's asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? Here's how Jesus responds. And he, being Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't just say love your neighbor. He says love your neighbor as yourself. So the love for your neighbor that actually honors God is one that is filtered through the thought, well, how would I want to be loved? A love for your neighbor that actually honors Jesus is one where you take the time and you take the mental energy it takes to imagine yourself in their situation and think, how would I want to be loved? So in order to do that, you'll have to get outside of your thinking, your feeling, your story, your relationships, and put yourself in theirs. You'll have to think, okay, if I was them, how would I want to be cared for? If I was them, how would I want to be served? If I had their relationships and their background and their story and their history and their struggles and their illness, how would I want to be loved? You have to do that. You have to ask yourself that question in order to love them well. That's what Jesus said. Now, that shouldn't be any shock to you. The one who's saying to us, put yourself in their situation, is Jesus, the eternal son of God who wrapped himself in flesh to be in our circumstance, Right? So it shouldn't be any shock to you or to me that he would give us a similar exercise to think about in loving other people. And it's fascinating to me, as I thought about it this week, it's fascinating to me that for you to love your neighbor as yourself requires you to be reflective. It necessarily requires you to be introspective and ask the question, well, how would I want to be loved? 
It requires you to ask that question. And when you start to ask yourself that question, how would I want to be loved? Well, here's what's revealed. Well, what do you find most valuable? Well, in, in a list of values or the best thing, what's the best thing anyone could ever do for you? What is it the most loving thing anyone could ever do for you? And if you're a Christian and you've believed that Jesus, when he died, he died for your sin. And when he rose from the dead, he was risen in your hope, in your victory, in your eternal life with him forever. If you believe that, well, that's going to shape the way you answer the question, isn't it? If you think that's the best thing God could ever give to you was Christ himself, well, that's going to shape the way you answer the question of how would I want to be loved. It's going to shape it. The way you view Jesus shapes everything. And so if you really think, if you're heart of hearts, you really think the best thing God ever gave you was Jesus, then to love your neighbor as yourself is necessarily going to mean helping them see Jesus for who he is. Do you follow that? If you're going to love your neighbor as yourself and the best thing you've ever received is Jesus, then you're going to have to help them understand and see Jesus for who he actually is. Christian, imagine you were your neighbor. How unloved would you feel if they never talked to you about Jesus? If you were your neighbor, you're your next door neighbor, you don't know Christ and you're them, even if they listened to every problem you had, even if they served every need you have, even if they gave all the wisdom and advice they could muster, but if they never brought up Jesus, wouldn't you feel unloved by them? Really? Like, like, wouldn't you think, okay, I'm really grateful for all the things they've done for me. I'm really thankful and I feel loved, but I also know they didn't give me their best thing. I also know, I would know, that the best thing they have to offer me, they withheld. The thing that they're saying is the best gift in the universe they didn't even give me. Now, you would feel unloved because you would know, you would know that they, that we left out Christ. See, the pinnacle of loving your neighbor, the pinnacle of it, is serving them absolutely and helping them see Jesus for who he is. See, being a, loving your neighbor absolutely entails all the things you think it entails. It, in, it involves eating meals together with them. It involves being generous with your finances. It involves listening and sharing and all sorts of acts of kindness. It necessarily and absolutely involves all those things. It absolutely does. But also it involves telling them about our Christ. Because you have to know your neighbor, my neighbor, Every person in the city, their greatest longings, the things that they're trying to quench, and their most fundamental problems they're trying to solve, all of them ultimately are going to be solved and met in Christ Jesus alone. All their greatest longings that they're trying desperately to fill with everything they can find, you know the story, you've been there, and all the most fundamental problems they have are actually met in Christ. See, in every situation... In every situation, you will find yourself in with those who are next door, across the street, across the hall, in the apartment complex. In every situation, you will find yourself in and trying to love your neighbor. It's going to point to that need, that longing being met in Jesus. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. Every felt need you're going to meet as you love your neighbor is actually a pointer to what God is doing through Jesus and Jesus alone. Let me give you a couple examples so you know what I'm talking about. Because what I'm not saying is that if someone confesses to you or talks to you or you get to know them, the first thing you say is, well, that reminds me of Jesus. You don't need to start that way. 
We, we tell this story of, of John Dansby. Um, he's been mentioned a lot. He got a lot of FaceTime. But John Dansby has this great illustration of feeling this obligation to bring Jesus in into every conversation, even when it's kind of forcing it. So he tells this illustration of you're at a party and someone drops a glass and it breaks and it shatters. And he goes, and someone goes, you know, sometimes life breaks. That's why Jesus is there. Like, like you don't need to feel... That obli- so it's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's Sunday school answer. Every situation, the first answer is Jesus. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that ultimately it is Jesus. That ultimately as you really think about what's going on in a situation, it ultimately is going to be solved in Christ. Let me give you a couple of examples. Let's say your neighbor, you meet them and they're working through financial problems. So really practical, financial issues. They're either struggling to pay mortgage or they lost their job or they're in a lot of debt or they have this insatiable love for money that's ruining them. They're anxious about it. All the different ways that a financial struggle can manifest itself, okay? To love them in a very practical way is to help them meet those felt needs. So it's to hear their story and say, how did you get to where you are? Were you sick for a season? Did you grow up not knowing how to manage? I mean, what's the story of this? You may need to help them financially. You may need to give them some of your own money and help them pay for something. You may need to give them some tools to help them manage their budget, all the different things. And those are really, really good things and necessary things to love your neighbor, absolutely. But you also need to tell them that Jesus has something better for them than just a balanced budget. You also got to get to the fact that no matter how good your budget is here, it can still be taken away from you and will be taken away from you at your death. See, Jesus doesn't have a want to put you in the black strategy. Jesus wants to give you a brand new economy. He wants to give you a brand new kingdom. Listen to how Jesus talks about monies. Don't turn there, Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus has a whole new investment strategy that's not influenced by markets and unseen forces. He has this blood-bought kingdom where wealth never ends. And so, yes, help them with their financial struggles, but tell them about the wealth that never ends. You see how those felt needs are actually pointers to what God is doing in Christ. I'll give you another illustration. Let's say your neighbor's done with broken relationships. Broken relationships. So, they, a family relationship, a romantic relationship, they're feeling insecure or isolated or lonely or they're having identity issues, all the different things that go along with broken relationships, you absolutely need to help meet their felt needs. You need to be a good friend and have them over for dinner. You need to be somebody who they could actually cry in front of and you would cry with them, even if you didn't even agree with their relationship they're crying over. You need to be somebody they could be around and be honest and vulnerable with and not want to check out as soon as it gets too messy or too dark. That you just want to stay around them and still be their neighbor and still be their friend even when they're not fixed in a month or two or a year. That's the kind of love we need to display, absolutely. But we also have to talk to them about this love that God has given us in Christ that never is going to be broken. You also got to get to the place that there's a relationship with God that will outlast every other relationship and outshine every other love. Romans 8. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even the very 
best relationships will fade. Even the very best ones. That's one of the saddest things about life, isn't it? Even the best ones get broken by death. And what Paul is saying is, no, no, you don't understand. The best relationship will never be broken. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So yes, be friends with your neighbors and hang out with them, but how could you not tell them about the greatest love in their life? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? On and on I could go of the different situations and how if you look at them immediately, there are felt needs you need to meet, but ultimately they point to Jesus, sickness and death. Someone is sick, someone is dying, be there, cry with them, weep with them, but how could you not tell them about the resurrection in Christ? People have philosophical problems and quandaries about knowledge and information. Yes, read books with them and process with them, but tell them ultimately all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. What you see is that to love your neighbor as yourself necessarily means making Jesus the goal of it. I don't know how it could not be. He's the best thing you have and I have to offer. See, the pinnacle of loving your neighbor is as you share your life with people, you help them see Jesus for who he is. Notice what I said, as you share your life, not instead of sharing your life, not as opposed to sharing your life, but as you share your life, as you share everything you have, You help them see Jesus for who he actually is. Now here's what's incredible about this. What's incredible about this is that God wants to use your neighboring, your love for your neighbor, he wants to use that to bring people back to himself. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the love for your neighbor isn't just simply, it doesn't just end on love for them. What God is doing, what he's going to do, is gonna use your love to bring people back to him. The means that he has designed To take his love to those who are far from him, running from him, is through your love for them. This is not for leadership of a church. This is for the entire church. That everyone who's in Christ, you got the Holy Spirit for this very purpose, to love your neighbor as yourself and God, to use that love for what? To bring lost sons and daughters home to himself. See, God may want to bring your your, your neighbor to Christ through a Sunday service like this. That's great but he definitely wants to use your love to do it. And what this city needs, this city definitely needs Sunday services. Absolutely the city needs it, but can I tell you, this city needs us to be the church. This city needs not just a couple of people to really be on board, but for the entire church to play their part in proclaiming how great this Christ is as we love our neighbors. I want you to listen to how Peter describes you and this church 1 Peter 2, 9. Listen to how he talks about us. But you, church, plural, are a chosen race. You, church, a royal priesthood. You, church, a holy nation. You, church, a people for his own possession that you, church, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Everything you've been given, every job that you get, every family the family you're a part of, all of it is so that you could proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Your life has great purpose. Once Christ gives you his spirit, you've been put on mission, and so he wants to use us in that way. And so we get to be used as a church to advance his kingdom to new people who are broken and hurting and need his love, and yet, do you know what keeps us from doing that? The greatest barrier for you and for me to actually living into this reality where we're this people who proclaim his excellencies as over tables and as we serve, as we give away money, as we do all these things, the greatest barrier 
to that is us. We are our own biggest problem. The reason you and I don't really step into this is our own sin and our own natural limitations. Our own sin gets in the way and our own natural limitations get in the way. But here's the great news. God has given us a very tangible, very real, very seen thing to help keep us faithful. He's given us this powerful means of grace to overcome your sin, overcome your limitations. You know what it is? It's the church. It's the people around you. It's intentional and accountable Christian friendships around you. The the term that we use in Christian subculture a lot is the term community. What we mean by that is intentional and accountable relationships with other Christians. What's crazy is this ordinary means is actually the way God wants to overcome your sin, overcome your limitations to get you on mission. To get you out of the house and knocking on your next door neighbor's door and getting to know them. That's the means by which he actually wants to do it is the community around you. Because by ourselves, by yourself, and by myself, we will struggle mightily to continue to be loving and faithful long term with our neighbors. See, by yourself, you can read a book, you can hear a sermon and be really challenged and convicted, but it's really hard by yourself to actually go obey. It's really hard. How many times, we know you know this, how often have you been convicted and you don't want to tell anybody because if you do, you might be held accountable? I know it's true for me. I'm like, God, it's a really good word. I can tell nobody. Like, that's what I think. Because if I tell somebody, then I'm going to be held accountable to actually do something. But lone ranger Christians, those who forsake intentional friendships and accountable relationships with other Christians, you will miss out on power. And I say will, not might. You will miss out on the power of God because he has designed to give you spiritual refreshment through the people around you. He has designed it that way to give you spiritual refreshment through the people around you. That's exactly how he wants it to happen. It doesn't mean you don't know Jesus. It just means you're going to have a hard time being spiritually healthy enough to actually love your neighbor well. It's through the community around us. He's going to keep us loving and keep us effective in this mission. So first, I'm going to show you how God overcomes your sinful heart, my sinful heart, with his word through community. Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3 is a really pivotal text in understanding this reality. Hebrews 3, verse 12 to 13. It says, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I want you to look at verse 12. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So that's, he's writing to Christians, by the way. He's saying, Christians, be careful, take care, lest you have an evil, unbelieving, and I would add to that, that it falls in line with those two things, a loveless, cold heart that leads you to fall away from the living God. That's a very weighty thing to say to Christians. He's saying that you have this propensity in you to be hardened by sin, to be, 
have your love grow cold for other people. So when it comes to loving your neighbor, your greatest obstacle is your own heart that tends to be cold towards people. So what's his solution? He gives us a solution. Look at verse 13. He says, here's the solution. But exhort one another every day. Do you see what the solution is? The solution is the church. One another But exhort one another every day. How often do you need to be reminded and encouraged of who God is? Every day. As long as today is called today. That means all the time. He's saying that the solution to our propensity to be sinful and to be deceived by sin, to say, okay, I don't need to get to know my neighbor. That's not going to be very joyful for me. I'll sit on the couch. The way that's being deceived by sin. He's saying the way, the way through that, the way over that is for the people around you exhorting you, not just giving you general encouragement and feedback, but people around you saying, remember who God is. I need people in my life saying, no, Tyler, remember what God is actually like. Do you remember how much joy you have when you follow him? How faithful he is, how kind he is, how gracious he is? We need that every single day. And so what that means is some of the most powerful messages from God's word will not, in your life, will not come from a pulpit. Some of them. Some of the most powerful messages from God's word to you in your life will not come from a pulpit. It's going to come from somebody who knows you really well. It's going to come from somebody who knows you really well. When I think about my life and those pivotal moments, you know those moments where the word of God just challenges you and it moves you and it brings repentance and conviction and actual change in your life. I can tell you right now, some of those moments have happened through preachers. Some of those moments have been me hearing a sermon and being challenged both at this church and around the world. I've heard that. But some of those moments have been from people who knew me really well. See, God gives gifted teachers and leaders to the church with these unique callings and gifts. That's for the benefit of the church. He does that. But he also gives people around us who have unique information about us. People that have unique information so that they're able to bring the word of God and his gospel to us in really unique ways. People around you who know your insecurities. People around you who know your fears, who know your anxieties. They know the temptations that are on your mind all the time. They, they know how you're wired. They know the guilt that you feel over particular sins. They know all those things about you, and so here's what they can do. They can bring the gospel and the refreshing nature of the word of God to you to those specific areas. Whereas I may be able to apply something generally to your life, they can come to you and say, no, no, I know you struggle with this thing in particular and this lie is getting to you right now. Here's what God's word says about that. See, when you're deeply known, you can be deeply encouraged. When someone really knows the depths of who you are, all the bad stuff along with the good stuff, they can bring the healing balm of the word of God to those areas like no one else can. And the less you're around people like that, the less you're you're known in those ways, can I tell you, the less likely you'll experience the word of God in this powerful way from people around you. If you only share surface stuff and you're only around people every now and then so long as it's convenient to your schedule, I can tell you no one's going to have the information to give the word of God to you in a really specific, direct way. That's why we need one another. For me personally, the two of the most important days of my life where I get to hear the word of God are Sundays, whether I'm preaching or listening, I get to be reminded of the word of God on Sundays and Tuesday mornings when I meet with other men in this church who speak the word of God to me directly. 
who this week I confess sin to, just what I'm struggling with, and they got to remind me of the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. And I know it, I've heard it a hundred times, but hearing that man say it to me in specific ways that I need to hear it in that moment is incredibly refreshing. And here's what that does. When I'm reminded of the greatness of God and I'm reminded of that he has grace that I don't even know anything about, you know what that makes me want to do? It makes me want to go love my neighbors. When, when you're burdened with sin and you feel guilty all the time and you're not following God's wisdom and you're ignorant of your blind spots, when you're in that place, you don't want to go love anybody. Because you don't believe the gospel for you, much less for them. And so we need one another to be able to speak that truth into your life in a significant way, even when it hurts, even when it's challenging, because it heals you up and refreshes you and makes you, it reminds you why you love your neighbor in the first place, because you love this Jesus who sent you. That's what community does. It overcomes our loveless hearts by reminding us and exhorting us to trust God and his word. So God uses community to overcome our hearts, and he uses community to overcome our natural limitations. See, God has designed loving your neighbor to work best when you do it alongside other believers. Let me say that clearly again. God has designed for loving your neighbor to work best when you do it alongside other believers. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but God has purposely not given you every gift needed in the kingdom. He has purposely not given you and me every gift and ability needed that he wants to use to advance his kingdom. He has given all the gifts and the abilities to his church to his people, but not to any one person. Do you know why God did that? God purposely does not give you every gift so you have to depend on other people. He purposely just gives you a couple of things, strong areas, and he purposely makes you weak in others so you need other believers because we, if we had all the gifts, we wouldn't want to talk to anyone ever. You're like, I have all the gifts, I'm amazing, you are not needed, let me go do mission. But the fact that you have genuine weaknesses and you lack power in certain areas is so that you depend on one another. Because here's what God wants. God wants to use this church to use a community so that when he does incredible things like reconciling relationships and bringing people to Christ and all the power he demonstrates through a people, there'd be so many people involved in the process that no one could take credit. He wants to make it really clear for people like us who are prone to be evil and unbelieving, he wants to make clear, no, 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 no. The power is not in any one person in this church. It's in the Holy Spirit among you. So he gives certain gifts to certain people, but not, in, not all the gifts to any one person. He purposely spreads them out, so we have to depend on each other. And can I tell you, it is such a freeing thing to embrace that you have a role to play. It's so freeing to just embrace the fact that you don't have all the gifts, that you're not strong in every area, and that you need other people. It's so freeing. Because I can tell you, though, it's a shot at your ego. Because God tends to work it out to where he may give someone a gift who's better than you at something and you have a hard time liking them. That'll happen. Community will be a shot at your ego, but it will increase your joy and effectiveness as you love your neighbors. It really will. It really will. I, the main people, main people I have sought to love my neighbors with in my neighborhood um, has been my wife, obviously Lauren and our kids, but also Todd Engstrom, who's one of our pastors, and his family. And we've kind of done this for about four years now. We move in the same neighborhood as them. 
So we've kind of been a community together trying to love our neighbors well throughout that time together. And what's been really fun to see is how in our community, how we complement each other really well, especially me and Todd. We're very different people. We have different gifts. I mean, he's one of those guys that he could meet 50 people in 10 minutes and not break a sweat. I would meet one person, we'd be best friends forever. That, that's how it would, that's how I'm, I, just want, I love meeting people, it's just not at the quantity that he can do it. And taught those great parties. I'm like, I like going to parties, so I just go to his house where he throws the parties. So we have these various gifts, and he's one of those guys, he's so good at meeting felt needs, but maybe sometimes he doesn't see opportunities where what God, I think, has used me to do is ask good questions and not care about feeling awkward about bringing up Jesus. I'll just bring, I will be the, the broken plate guy, I'm like, Tyler, get out of here. And that's what, I tend to be that person. So we work really well together, and what's great about community is you don't have to be on all the time. Like, loving your neighbor in community is great because there are gonna be days where you are feeling like you don't wanna love people and you're feeling like, I don't wanna talk to anybody, but your community will keep you accountable because it tends to work out where God has the other per- people in your community feeling pretty strong and confident, saying, no, come on, let's go. And then you're there and they get to, you get to support them. I know me and Todd have done this a lot with our neighbors. Well, we'll, we will support the other person as we're trying to love them, share the gospel with them. A couple years ago, we're at dinner and Todd's talking to one of our neighbors and he starts sharing about he's struggling with his, his sister's suffering and sickness. Well, Todd knew that me and Lauren had just walked through some loss of our own. So he goes, hey, Tyler, why don't you share with our friend kind of how you walk through some of this stuff? He just soft-tossed me there at a restaurant. I got to talk about how Jesus has given me hope in the midst of loss, how the resurrection gives me all this hope in the midst of loss. So he, in that moment, Todd wasn't doing anything other than supporting me and my ministry in that moment. But just last Friday, last Friday night, we're at Todd's house, and there's new neighbors over there, so I've met one, he's met 10, that's how that works. And he's talking to some guy, and some guy starts asking him really cool questions about Jesus, really cool questions about our faith. And I, got to, I, was, I wasn't involved in the conversation, but I was kind of sitting catty corner, and I just see them talking, and my role that night was to pray for them. My, I was talking to, I mean, I wasn't like, when I say pray for them, I wasn't like, I was like talking to people, right? I wasn't just like praying by myself. It wasn't, that's not what I'm saying. I was talking to people, and as I'm talking to people, I know that conversation's happening, and I'm like, God, would you open his eyes to see Jesus? God, would you give wisdom to Todd and love for him, and would you show up? I mean, I'm praying throughout the night, and that was me loving my neighbor well. See, community makes everything you're trying to do in faithfulness to Jesus better, and what's great about community is when I see other people obeying, it makes me want to obey more. Like getting to hear Todd share the gospel with a person in our neighborhood makes me so excited to when it's my turn. I'm looking, I, I'm, looking I'm like, man, I can't wait till God gives me the opportunity next. Because I can't tell you how bad I wanted to butt into that conversation. I'm like, that was wrong. I want to say this. Like that's what I wanted to do. But it encourages you when you see other believers obeying. But can I tell you, you won't see that if you're at home by yourself. You won't. If you always choose your schedule and what's convenient for you, you'll never get to have that. And can I tell you, this only gets more complicated the older you get, the more kids you have, the more responsibilities you possess. That's for sure. But it just means you'll have to work harder to make this happen. It doesn't make it impossible. It just makes it a little more difficult. So are these sorts of relationships easy to come by? No. I don't want to lie to you and say, yeah, just show up at someone's house, best friend, like that. No, you'll have to work through some conflict. You'll have to sacrifice some things. You'll have to, I know, be vulnerable with each other when you hurt one another. 
But can I tell you, it's so much better and you'll be so much more effective in loving your neighbors when you do it together. You absolutely will. Because the power you need to overcome your sin and overcome your limitations is going to be found in the people around you as they remind you of the word of God again and again and again. As they obey the word of God in front of you again and again and again and you're reminded he's worth it. And you're reminded, I'm a part of something bigger than myself, and I get to play my role well and watch God move in power and save and reconcile and heal. This church is not a religious club. We are a people on mission in this city. And God using every tool and talent and responsibility he's given you for the sake of that mission. So what I want to do, I want to close our time by showing you guys a story, a video of someone in our church, a couple in our church, trying to do the exact same thing so you can see what it looks like. And I'll come back up and close this out. God can take us anywhere and we're prepared to go wherever he wants us to go. But while he's got us here, we view this neighborhood as our long-term mission field. We've been married for, gosh, what, 12? 12 years. 12 years, and we've lived here in this lovely house in Circle C for eight. As we got to know the neighbors, like right off, we knew we were going to love getting to hang out here. There were just a lot of people that were very welcoming when we got here. Everybody was quick to come over and greet us. I think one thing that we're real sensitive to is how much we're leaving our neighborhood. So just being available, being here, being present, being willing to go out front and throw the football or um, gosh, gardening or whatever it is that helps get outside and connect with the neighbor. We got this old school projector and Brandon used his old school laptop and we play play movies and we just pull Has it. Has it changed much? Is no, it like it new has. school? It's, it's getting okay, good. It's good. So we would just play movies on our on our garage door and all the all the kids would come. We'd say movie night, popcorn, it's so simple. During the movies the kids will get sucked into the movie and then the parents kinda of back off and just sit around kind of it's the perimeter fun. and talk and get to know each other. It's just really yeah. Great. Lots of great memories, lots of great conversations. Brandon and I are pretty intense. We're pretty intentional. We come off strong sometimes, so we have to kind of, we're like, so, do you love Jesus? Do you go to church? Do you want to come to our Bible study? And they're kind of like, oh, you're crazy. We had one situation where uh, a neighbor came over and, and was kind of caught off guard by some of the conversation topic, the directness about Christ and and kind of reminded her of maybe church when she was a kid and it kind of left a bad taste in her mouth. And it was a big mess up, like it just really was. And we were like, whoa, we did not, that didn't go the way we wanted it to and God still used it. Like he was still like, I'm bigger than this and I can still use something that was out of control or maybe messy. And it was the coolest thing when she came over one day after she had gone to church and she said, Becca, I get it. Like, I get it. And then it's been neat to kind of help walk walk through her growth and it's hard it's hard right it's hard for me and and I, I think that's what I always remind her of I'm growing too so a lot of times we would spend so much time controlling conversations and making sure things would happen that we thought would would foster you know a good environment 
actually when it's when we backed off a little bit and realized we're not in control and the Holy Spirit is in control, there's a lot of relief for them and for us. And yeah. time and time again, he's just convinced us that we need to get out of the way a lot of times. I think one thing we have struggled with is feeling like, okay, we have to have it all together before we can let people in. And I think I would just encourage people, it's never going to be perfect. This has been our eight-year journey, and God has given us this gift and opportunity to really um, get to know our neighbors, and we've been willing and available, and that's how God's wired us, and we're so grateful for it, but we are still wrestling and figuring it out. God's humbling us on a regular basis. It, it's not easy. It's it's human beings. It's sin. It's brokenness. It's um, it, it's messy. When I think of Christ and what He's done for me, it, it actually helps me pursue my neighbors uh, in kind of an unconditional, relentless way, kind of like He pursues me every day. We really do feel called to view our neighborhood as a mission field. It's a place that is um, without Christ. People look different here than they do in other parts of the, the world, but they have the same needs, they have the same hurts, they have the same life struggles that I think the gospel applies to. My long-term vision is that everyone on this street is saved, mm -hmm. and I pray for it. I am praying for their salvation, and mm -hmm. I think God can do it. Like, I really, really do. It's kind of exciting just to talk about, because I'm like, he can do anything. I have been praying a lot, been praying a lot that, that God would send his spirit in a fresh way, that that would be the story of more people in our church. I just want it so bad because there's so much, you see, there's so much joy in it to, to not have your life just be about you and about comforts and entertainment, to actually get outside of yourself and love your neighbor as yourself and realize Jesus actually has more joy for you out there than he does in here. That's what I want. I don't want it to be leadership who does it. I want it to be our people. I want it to be the church who does it. Jesus purchased the Holy Spirit for every single person in this room, not so that you could just learn information and never do anything, so that you could be used in power in this city. And you're going to have people in your life that would never want to hear anything from me or anyone else, but they would like to hear from you in your community and be in your home with you. And can I tell you, living this way is not an Austin Stone thing. It's not an Austin Stone thing. It's not a church program. It's an ethic of the kingdom. It's an ethic of those who have seen how great Jesus is and they want to follow him faithfully in this life. Because in 100 years, when no one gives a rip about the Austin Stone, no one knows who we are, Christians who have seen and tasted Jesus as better will be doing things like that. They'll have different names for it. They won't call it what we call it, but they will be living alongside intentional, accountable relationships with other Christians, loving their neighbors as themselves, and talking to them about Jesus. That's what Christians have been doing long before us and be doing long after us. And that's the role God's given you to play. So I hope that you will take whatever step it is. Maybe you don't even have those Christian friendships. You take those steps. Maybe you have those friendships, but you still don't know your neighbors. You go knock on doors this week and invite people over for dinner. And maybe you're doing that. Maybe you need to talk about Jesus for the first time. Whatever it is, can I tell you, you are thinking far too small as to what God wants to do. 
God actually has bigger intentions and dreams than you could ever imagine. Our job is to be faithful for the next step. Faithful for the next step to realize this Jesus who loved us so much, he put himself in our situation, literally wrapped himself in our flesh, lived among us, loved us to the point of dying for us, and when he was resurrected, he said, go do the same. He said, I've given you the spirit as the Father has sent me, so I have sent you to do the same for the person who's right next door. Let's pray together. Father, this is one of those realities of what you want to use your people to do that, God, we can so often be cynical about. That we can so often even say we've tried it before and it didn't work, so we don't have to do it anymore. Or we think about our own sins and our own struggles and our own guilt, and we think God could never use me. And God, I would ask you, would you forgive us of the ways we are looking more to self for power than to you for power? That we're going to self to atone for sin and not to Christ to atone for sin. That we're going to self to understand what our purpose in life is and not to you what our purpose in life is. God, I want you to release this church to be, Jesus, what you paid for. To be people forgiven, free from sin because they've been forgiven of it. That they have good news to tell the city, good news to tell people who are feel broken and beat down and powerless because Jesus overcame the grave. Oh God, I don't want to settle for what's convenient. I don't want to settle for what makes sense. God, I want to be faithful to you and I want us as a church to say whatever it means to be faithful to this Jesus who's loved me this well, I want to do. From the really small ways and the mundane ways to really extraordinary and extravagant ways. God, we will never be the people you want us to be unless your spirit empowers us to do so. So God, we ask, send him in a fresh way. God, all of your people have him, all of your people possess him forever, but God, we want his power in a fresh way. God, I want neighbors in this city to never know the name of the Austin Stone, but claim the name of Jesus because of the people's love in this room. I don't want to settle. We have so little time before we go home. So God, as we're here and as we're pilgrims, God, keep us faithful together. God, let us be bold with each other to say the gospel is greater than we could imagine. It can forgive us in this city in ways We never thought possible. So God, use us, use us, please. That Jesus would get all the worship and all the praise and all the honor and all the glory he so rightly deserves. God, we ask these things in his mighty name. Amen. Amen, church, let's stand together.